Well, if you turn to Matthew chapter uh, 16, uh, we're going to be thinking particularly about uh, verse 18. It would be easy to be discouraged. Be easy to look at the news uh, and to think, uh, what's going on in our land? Is there any uh, prospect of Christ's church flourishing in Ireland? Uh, Ireland that has the lowest percentage of evangelical Christians anywhere in the English-speaking world. But 0.3% and Christianity, to make matters worse, is declining in the West. Um, and in Ireland, it's rapidly becoming some sort of cultural artifact. And so, why bother? Are we wasting our time? Are we fast becoming irrelevant? Are we like King Canute, supposedly commanding? Uh, and failing to stop the waves coming in on the seashore. They took his throne out, allegedly, and uh, set it there, and he commanded the tide to stop, and it didn't. Is that what the church is like? Uh, why not just go quietly into the night of oblivion and extinction? Why rage against the dying of the light? Why, why meet on a Sunday evening when we could be doing something else? Why follow God's ways whenever the world... It's like swimming upstream. Why do that? We do it because 2,000 years ago, a man made a promise. Not any man and not any promise. A young man in his 30s stood in a backwater in Judea as the Roman Empire is at the peak of his powers. He has 12 followers. And he says, I will build my church. A claim that would be followed up by a command to these men. In fact, one of them would have already uh, packed it in and betrayed him. Um, but a command given to these men to go and make disciples from every nation. Utterly farcical. The grandiose dreams of a young man and his mates. That's how the world would have heard it and seen it. And yet, we're in 2018, measured uh, as 2018 from the birth of Christ. Rome uh, fell in AD 410. The Holy Roman Empire has gone. The Khanate of Genghis Khan, this colossal empire that stretched right from the Far East, right across into Europe, it's gone. The dynasties of China and Japan are gone. The British Empire is gone. The Ottoman Empire is gone. The USSR has gone. And yet the church remains. It's spreading and it's growing. Why? Because 2,000 years ago, a young man made a promise. I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so for our encouragement this evening, I want us to think of this promise and three things. First of all, the church's builder. The church's builder. I will build my church. The young man who makes this promise has just asked his followers, who do people say I am? And there's been a variety of replies. 
Uh, you can see those replies in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. The people are agreed that he's some kind of special prophet. Even one of the greatest prophets of the past restored to life. And then this young man cuts to the chase. He asks his followers, who do you say I am? And Peter, the spokesman of the group, speaks powerfully, straight and simple. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now that's seems obvious to us. We think that's nothing, nothing special in a sense. Yes, well done, Peter. Eventually you've got there. But it's an incredible statement from a Jew. The, the Jewish people had said for years, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, he is one. And now Peter's saying, Well, you are the son of the living God. For years, They'd been waiting for the Messiah, thousands of years. But they were adamant that there was only one God. And yet, what else could he say? He had seen things that he couldn't explain. The blind made to see. The crippled walking. Storms calmed. The dead brought to life. And the only conclusion that Peter can come to is that God is standing in front of him. And that this is the promised Messiah. And the Messiah was God the Son. This is the God who spoke the universe into being and yet Peter had been there at the baptism, perhaps. Actually, now to think about it, was he at the baptism? But he would have heard the reports uh, from John the Baptist's uh, disciples that there had been a voice from heaven that had spoken and a, a dove had descended. And the voice said, this is my son with him. I am well pleased. So, there's, there's a God who's still in heaven and there's God the Son standing in front of him and there's, there's the Holy Spirit. And Peter makes this incredible statement that, yes, I know God's in heaven, but you're standing here. You must be God the Son. The one who created Adam and Eve, who made a promise to Abraham to make a mighty nation out of one man and did so who brought his people out of Egypt and into the promised land, who brought them back from exile, who calmed the storm and raised the dead. And this God-man says, I will build my church. God had been building his church. The word means assembly. Uh, It's found in the Old Testament, this word. Um, Psalm uh, 35. I will give thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs I will praise you. We sang it in Psalm 26. It's in Psalm 149. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his faithful people. And now God the Son has come. And the building project is really going to take off. God, uh, all that had gone before was like the preparation, the marking out of the lines and the levels on the building site. The drawing of the plans. Now the real building work is about to commence. He is going to give his life for his church. His people. The church is Christ's church because he alone dies for it. And our church here in Letterkenny and the churches of our brothers and sisters in Christ here in Letterkenny and Donegal are part of this 
great global entity. When Jesus said, I will build my church. It's precious to him. You get that in the word my. Here's the church's builder. And he loves the church. It's described elsewhere as being like a bride to him. Like something he's loved from before the beginning of time. We're used to thinking of us as individual Christians being loved individually from before the beginning of time. But it's even more applicable collectively. The church is his bride. He loves his church. He says, I will build my church, my gathering, my assembly. Christians aren't single entities. I've said before that Jesus is no more interested in saving individuals than a builder is in collecting bricks. He saves people and builds them into his church, his kingdom. Christians are part of God, or should be part of God's visible, gathered church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Jesus didn't simply die to bring people to heaven. He died to bring people into fellowship with God and with each other. To live under God's rule in preparation for living under God's rule in heaven. And the church is Christ's means for reaching the world. And so what we're doing here is of vital importance. We're trying to do Christ's work, Christ's way. And yes, there's other things that we'll get involved in like seeking to protect the Eighth Amendment. We'll become involved in an issue like this. But it's not the main business of the church. It's not our main role. We are here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And through that, Christ builds his church. We're not perfect, but as we seek to do things the way the builder has instructed us, we can look to him to build his church. And we need to remember that he's the builder of the church for two reasons. One, so that we don't forget our place. I don't build the church. Johnny doesn't build the church. You don't build the church. Sometimes... Um, enthusiastic and well-intentioned speakers uh, challenge people to be involved in kingdom building. Are you building the kingdom? Nope. Because I'm not the builder. Jesus said, I will build my church. Um, I'm a brick on the building site. That's what I am. Jesus says he'll build this church. We work, yes, but he builds. We're like the pen in Shakespeare's hand, like the paintbrush in Michelangelo's hand. It's not our church. It's to be run his way. It's his opinion and his direction that matters. Often we can think of here as my church. Well, when we ever think of ourselves thinking that way, hear our voice in competition with Jesus' voice, when he says, I will build my church. I remember, uh, you know, there's times whenever architects and builders are, are working on a project and the builder comes along and uh, the architects come on site and say, why is it done this way? And the builder says, well, I just changed it. You did what? Um, you just changed it? I'm sorry? <laughs> You're the builder. I, you know, I'm the architect 
you, I'm the one who gives the instructions and sometimes we can be like that in the church and we can take ownership of the project in a way that we shouldn't. So we need to be reminded that when Jesus says, I will build my church, it's his, he's the builder, it's his church. And we must follow his instructions and his priorities and do things his way. And how do we build the church? That saves us from getting involved in, in gimmickry and in our own ideas. He tells us, go out and make disciples. Teach them all that I've commanded you. Go and tell them the gospel. So we need, we need to be reminded of this truth so that we don't forget our place. And we, secondly, we need to be reminded of it so that we don't get overwhelmed. The world around us would like to silence us as Christians, drown us out. We live in a hugely intolerant age, and it would be easy to get disheartened and down. Think, why bother? What's the point? Nobody's listening. And then we hear this voice, the voice that said, let there be light and there was light, that same voice says, I will build my church. I will build it. And there's tenderness in there. It's not just a a cold building project. He says, I will build my church. This is Christ's church. It's precious to him. It's valuable to him. It's the most precious thing in the universe. So we'll not get overwhelmed if we remember how important this thing that we are doing is. This is where God's glory dwells. It dwells amongst his people. Wonderful. And Jesus says, I won't abandon this project. It won't be like those houses that are littered around the countryside where recession kicked in and resources ran out and they just lie there unfinished. Jesus says, no, no, it won't happen in my church. I'll build it. And I will dwell there, for I delight to dwell there. And my glory will dwell there. The church is the church's builder. Secondly, the church's materials. The church's materials. What is the Lord Jesus going to use in the building of the church? Well, the promise is made to Peter and the rest of his disciples. And it's in the middle of a sentence. Peter has told Jesus who he thinks Jesus is. And now Jesus tells Peter who Peter is and what he intends to do with Peter. He says, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church. He, he puns on Peter's name, which means rock. Peter was a second name that Jesus had given to Simon earlier in his ministry, John 1.42. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. And he says, I tell you, that you are Petros. And on this Petra, I will build my church. He's punning on Peter's name here. What does he mean? Is he picking Peter as an individual, making special promises to Peter? Well, some have thought and taught that down through the centuries, that Peter is the rock on which the church is built. And others have denied that it's Peter at all that Jesus is speaking to. Well, it seems clear that Jesus is speaking to Peter. But that he, what he says to Peter is applied to other apostles elsewhere in Ephesians 2. 
Paul writes that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Jesus goes on here to make a statement about authority that is given to Peter. But a couple of chapters later in Matthew 18, verse 18, that same authority is given to all the apostles. Whatever you bind will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. So yes, Jesus is speaking to Peter and what he says to Peter, though, is applied elsewhere to all the apostles. They're, they are the foundation on which the church is built. They all have been given this authority. And what a, a foundation. These are the building materials that Jesus works with to build his glorious new temple, his glorious assembly of his people, the place where God in his glory delights to dwell. And these are the building materials. These men, 11 of them, are going to be the building materials. Imagine the incredulity of the disciples. What, us? We're the foundation stones? With their flaws and their weaknesses and their struggles and their doubts. And yet starting with Peter and the disciples, the builder begins to build. And down through the centuries, so it has been. Christ has built his church with people like Peter who have confessed Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And that's the key thing. To be part of Christ's church is to acknowledge that Jesus is who Peter says he is, that he is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, the promised rescuer. Peter's going to make an awful mess. As we thought this morning, his pride is going to cause him to deny Jesus. And he found forgiveness in coming back to the Savior. But we see that the church is not built on a great marketing plan. The church is not built on men of great influence and great ability. The church is built with these men. Weak people, flawed people. Proud people, foolhardy people, timid people, fearful people, people like us. Jesus says, I'll build my church. He doesn't gather the elites, the powerful, the influential and the clever, but people who have confessed him as their saviour and Lord. And he builds them. We might look around and wonder who would build with us. But this is our encouragement. The master builder loves to do it. He loves to take weak, unimpressive in the world's eyes, flawed individuals and build them together into a close-knit, warm, loving community of his people. Didn't we see it yesterday morning uh, up on Roxy and Caris as, as, we, as we all just were sitting there eating brunch or five breakfasts for some of us. Um, it was just great. The, the chat, the conversation, there was a warmth, a closeness, a richness. There's evidence that Christ is building his church with all sorts of people. With Peter's and Thomas's and John's and James's and you and me. In one sense, the less impressive we are, the more the builder's skill 
is seen uh, building something that lasts. God willing, a host of his yet unknown names from around Donegal will be added to the building project that he's doing here in Letterkenny. The church's materials. We might look at people around us and think they're not likely. Look at the disciples and look at us. Were we ever likely? So let that encourage us. Thirdly, the church's permanence. The church's permanence. The church of Jesus Christ is a puzzle, isn't it? You can't quash it. Rome tried. Russia tried. China tried. ISIS is trying. But 2,000 years ago, a young man said, I will build my church. I will. I will. The disciples had gone with him to Caesarea Philippi. It must have been discouraging because John the Baptist had been executed. Uh, As you look back in the chapter, you see that uh, the the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, the so-called religious leaders, are beginning their opposition. Jesus has been rejected at Capernaum. And perhaps the disciples were discouraged. Things weren't going the way they thought. And it's going to get worse. Jesus is about to tell them that he is going to die. And so he says to them, I will build my church. As if to say, I know it doesn't look great. I know it's not the way you would have planned it. I know that by all outward appearances it's not working. But I will build my church and nothing is going to stand in its way. Not even the gates of Hades. Jesus is reminding them and us that you can't always tell by outward appearances. No matter what has been thrown at it from the persecutions of Nero and Diocletian to the burnings of uh, Bloody Mary, as she was known in, in England, to the martyrdoms of the Covenanters, to the Christians in prison in North Korea, in um, all sorts of places across the Middle East, Uh, Today, uh, he's building his church despite all that's been thrown at it. It won't lie down and he won't stop building. And he makes the rage of man to serve him. People trying to destroy the church serve for its building. They're trying to destroy it and and, uh, Muslims across parts of Africa are seeing the reality of Christianity Because of the faith of people whose buildings are being destroyed, whose families are being attacked, and so it has always been. I've mentioned before how the communists in China threw out the missionaries trying to extinguish the church. And what did it do? It caused the church to grow somewhere in the region of 100 million Chinese Christians today. One in ten Chinese people in a country that tried to eradicate it. Think of what happened when, uh, at a personal level, at an individual level, John Bunyan was imprisoned. Well, that didn't work well, did it, for Satan? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress. And think of how many Christians have been established and equipped and strengthened in their faith because of that. Think about the persecution of Christians in England that drove them to leave for America. 
Think of the, the driving out of our own denominations, missionaries and others from Ethiopia in the 1970s. How it led to Ethiopian Christians taking up the challenge and preaching the gospel and spreading it. I will build my church. The church's permanence. The sovereign builder adds a guarantee to the certainty of his promise. The gates of Hades will not overcome it. Some older translations have it as the gates of hell. But the focus is less on the malevolent evil that hell is and more on the power and finality of death. Um, In the Greek version of the Old Testament, this phrase occurs, the gates of death. That's found in Job 38, uh, 17. It's found in Isaiah 38, 10. I said in the middle of my days I must depart. I am consigned to the gates of Sheol for the rest of my years. And it's both places, it's a euphemism, another phrase for death. See, death claims everything. Death swallows up a family. It swallows up friends. It swallows up enemies. It swallows up civilizations. It swallows up countries. It overcomes everything in its path. But it will not overcome the church. Christ says that this will not happen to his church. Death will not be able to swallow it up. It will not be like the grass of the field which the wind passes over and its place remembers it no more. There's no power in the universe that can destroy the church. That makes it the safest place to be in the universe. Not the building, obviously. We don't even have a building, really. Um, But to be included in Christ, to be part of his family. You see, if you're not in Christ's family, death will claim you, death will swallow you, death will overcome you, but come into Christ's family, into his kingdom, into his church, by confessing Christ as our Saviour and Lord, and we find that death only moves us from one aspect of the church to the other, from the church on earth to the church in heaven, from the church at war to the church triumphant. And Jesus, the builder, guarantees it. His church, well, some churches have a 10-year, or some church, some, not churches, some houses have a 10-year guarantee. Jesus gives his church not even a lifetime guarantee but an eternal guarantee. And it's not because of the quality of the materials, but it's because of the quality of the builder. We are weak, but he's strong. And as the builder, he's already defeated death. He builds his church from the victory side of death with materials that he has purchased by his own death to build something that is death-proof. They've been through, as it were, the fires of death. We have been taken through death with him because we've put our trust in him and being built into his church. Not even death, the gates of death, will overcome it. I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. It will not be quashed. It will not be eradicated. It will not disappear It will not be swallowed up like everything else has been. Here's the certainty of the church. 
It's based on this promise, this absolute promise of God and the power of God to put into effect what he promises. Church is precious. It's precious to him. Why do we do what we do? Because Jesus said, I will build my church. Because in this church, God is glorified. And that's what we're here for. And this morning we were being challenged to look at God's glory. And in following weeks we'll be challenged to glorify God. And we are not wasting our time because that is what the world was made for. And that is what the church is for. And that's why the church is indestructible. Because it exists to glorify God and to be the place where God's glory is now revealed because God's people are becoming more and more Christ-like. And where is God's glory seen? It's seen in Christ. And as God's people become more Christ-like and as more people come to know Christ, where is God's glory seen but in his church? The master builder has made a promise. He will build his church. And the gates of Hades will not be able to stand against it. So let's keep serving our master builder. Let's keep serving him so that he can build his church through us. So let's be encouraged as we face into another year. If you're able, let me ask you to stand as we come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, there is... Nothing of permanence in our world except the church. And we thank you for that. We thank you for your word that establishes the church through your son, Jesus Christ. We have a message to proclaim. We have the Holy Spirit to enable us. And Father, help us not to be discouraged by the opposition of the world, by the apparent Slowness of things at times. Thank you that Jesus spoke to these disciples who were going to see wonderful things but also hard things. Opposition and persecution and destruction and devastation and rejection. They were going to see it all. And yet they had heard the promise from the one who would subsequently defeat death that nothing but nothing could stop the spread of your church. And we stand this side of Pentecost. We stand this side of two millennia of you building your church. And although it may seem small and slow here where we are, we thank you, Lord God, that there is evidence around us, of even here, of people coming to Christ. And further afield, of people coming to Christ in greater numbers than we see here at this moment. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would encourage us to keep on going, confident that Christ has said he will build his church and he'll build it with all sorts of people, flawed people and weak people, not the most influential people and not the most gifted people, people like us, Lord God, people like Peter and James and John, fishermen and tax collectors and farmers from Galilee, a backwater area. And Lord, you still build your kingdom with people like that. And we thank you for that. 
and we thank you that you've built us into it. And we pray, Lord God, that you would encourage us as we seek uh, to do the work of the kingdom. And we pray that in seeking to serve the king, we would be aware of Christ building his kingdom through us. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.